Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living in This Queer Body, a podcast about barriers to embodiment and how our collective body stories can bring us back to ourselves. I'm Asher Panjuris, and I'm very happy to have you with us today. Uh, We have a really cool episode coming up, and I have a couple of announcements. This is the end of the year, so I, I hope you can bear with me for just one moment. Basically, I just want to let people know again about this really amazing opportunity that I feel honored to be a part of. Ilya Parker of Decolonizing Fitness, who is also a podcaster and amongst many other things, and also a past interviewee on the Living in the Square Body podcast. Ilya Parker and I are going to be hosting a workshop, Finding Pleasure in Purposeful Movement, on January 14th. And it's a virtual workshop. There are recordings available um, if you can't make it um, during the time of the workshop. But we encourage a lot of people to show up live. Ilya and I will have a conversation about the question of what is quote-unquote healthy movement And a lot of the things that are associated with that, I mean, we really decided to come to this based on our own experiences and the experiences of the people we work with who have really been impacted by discourses that seemingly limit our range of options for movement, for feeling pleasure in our bodies. So much is results-oriented, how a lot of the questions we're going to be asking is like, how as queer and trans and non-binary people, how do we find ways of moving and being in our bodies and nourishing our bodies? This, This involves food and nourishment too. You know, how do we relate to our bodies in a way that is not you know, overcompensating or overcorrecting for things um, that heteronormative society, you know, places upon us, ideas of health, ideas of wellness, ideas of, you know, being, eating clean or being fit, you know, all of these ideas are are up for discussion. And I think particularly Ilya is an amazing person to be doing this. If you haven't already listened to their podcast, you have to go listen to it, Decolonizing Fitness. It's available everywhere. Um, And you'll get a real flavor for like what their take is on a lot of these things. Ilya is is a non-binary, black, trans-masculine person in a larger body. who has chronic injuries and someone who works also as a physical therapist assistant and personal trainer. And Ilya is going to, to spend some time during this workshop talking about what it felt like to feel pressure to medically transition and modify their body through exercise to align with a cis masculine presentation leading to many injuries and You know, I'm going to talk about many things, including my work over the many years with folks who struggle with disordered eating, orthorexia being an enormously 
significant problem um, and the orthorexic mindset being basically an outgrowth of diet culture and wellness culture. Um, so I'm going to talk about that. Um, also talk about my own journey of living in a chronically ill body um, and trying to navigate questions of nourishment and movement given all of these discourses that are being thrown at me. So I'm in there with you, um, but uh, the attendees who will participate in this conversation will be able to ask questions, be able to, you know, have a, it's going to be an open conversation and you'll get a chance to learn ways to begin to approach purposeful movement in your own life and the lives of the people you work with potentially. So to register, I want you to head over to livinginthisqueerbody.com or you can follow the link in my Instagram bio. Um, again, like I said, recordings are available if you can't make it live. The uh, workshop happens on January 14th. Um, if you have any questions about the workshop, whether it's a good fit for you or a client of yours, feel free to DM me uh, on Instagram at livinginthisqueerbody. So... Um, I hope I'm really looking forward to this. Um, and I'm really, again, just grateful to be teaming up with Ilya, um, to try to spread the word of health at every size and try to counter some of the diet culture narratives that really fuck with us, all of us truly. Okay. So this is the last episode of 2019. This is my 25th episode. So we had 25 episodes this year, plus our first literary mini episode and look out for more of those in 2020. Um, it's been a while since I've asked for support, but I hope that some of you who have enjoyed this new podcast project and found moments of resonance in it will consider a financial contribution to the show. It takes money and time to make this show that is largely unsponsored possible. Um, in order to keep it sustainable and for me to be able to pay my editor to make this project alongside a full-time job and parenting, I really would appreciate support. If you're able to make a financial contribution, there are links in the show notes. You can go to patreon.com backslash living in this queer body or click the link in the show notes to the anchor app and make a one-time or recurring donation that's a great place to if you just want to make you know a one-time donation that um, is a good place to do it finally if you want to show your support in other ways please consider writing a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or send me a testimonial let me know what you think of the show and the project I was at a party recently and had a lovely conversation with an old friend who just said a lot of very kind things about this podcast. Liz, you are very much appreciated. And I felt so humbled and just amazed to hear how the podcast was resonating for this person. And it would really mean a lot to me to to get some of those kind of testimonials. Um, so I, I would really appreciate that and any financial support you can offer. Okay, so on to our last show of the decade. I was so glad to sit down and talk with Andrea Glick. They are 
so many things, including the creator of the wildly popular and deeply resonant Instagram account, Somatic Witch, where they give us frequent doses of wisdom about the nervous system and working through trauma. Andrea Glick, LMSW, is a psychotherapist, somatic healer, sex educator, and witch living and practicing on occupied Lenape territory. Andrea specializes in treating trauma and PTSD for queer and trans folks using body-based and feminist therapy practices to help clients come home to themselves. You can find them on Instagram at Somatic Witch or on their website at www.andreaglick.com. It's G-L-I-K. And there are workshops there for purchase. Uh, and you can learn more about the work they're doing, both for therapists and healers, um, workshops about uh, the nervous system and healing from trauma, and also healing trauma through BDSM, which is a really vibrant and important part of Andrea's work that is growing um, and really resonating with people. And I'm, I'm so glad that um, they're doing that. So thank you everyone for listening and I will be back in 2020 with more episodes. Andrea, thanks for joining me today. So nice thank to have you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. I like to start each each interview with a question. Um, and you can kind of go wherever you want with it. But if you could reflect on sort of your earliest memories of realizing that you had a body or what you mm-hmm. learned about being in a body. Yeah, that's a great question. The first positive thing <laughs> that comes up is being in nature and getting to be in rivers and in lakes and in the woods and feeling like playing pretend. Mm -hmm. And so that was like being in my brain, but it was also being in my body because there was something about being in nature that allowed me to really go into my imagination. But I think more the like physicality of it would be, I think what a lot of kids experience, which is being told that my body wasn't right or wasn't okay. Um, And that very much had to do with like being a like very sweet chubby child who was totally fine with that (laughs) and like had no shame around it until other people pointed it out and like very much coded in like a health related way of like, well, we just care about you. Um, when I think that I was, I know that I was very healthy physically and mentally. And then it was sort of like after that, that, that health around that changed. So that's like the positive and the negative (laughs) Mm-hmm. memories of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did you kind of move from that? I guess m- maybe my question is more like, what do you think those early experiences have to do with you eventually moving into the work that you're doing now? That's a great question too. I feel like everybody comes to healing work with some wound And that's one of them that I have. (laughs) Um, But specifically with somatic work, I think that I, or I know that I like really disconnected from my physical self for a long time because of that experience. 
and actually from nature as well, like was very much like I live in a city, like that's my life. And then as I got more involved in a somatic practice, which for me actually started with a super witchy chiropractor that I saw when I was in grad school, uh, cause I was in an extreme amount of pain from the vicarious trauma that I was experiencing and, um, the stuff that we did together, I was like, Oh, there's something here. And then I was noticing all my clients having really similar chronic pain that I was experiencing, like neck pain and back pain and migraines and, um, And then I was like, oh yeah, right. Having a body. Okay. And then I started having more positive experiences with my body through being in nature. But I also think being queer as well, like that was a big part of it too. So Mm -hmm. definitely relearning how to inhabit my physical body brought me to somatic work for Mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's in some ways that's like the theme of this entire podcast, right? You know, and I think this, the question around like how to either re-inhabit or inhabit your body for the first time really mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. is yeah. a question for me personally and also in my professional work. I think I, I work with a lot of people that that feel kind of challenged in that way and and don't even really know what that means. Don't even really know not that there's something kind of definitive about what that means, but um, yeah, maybe you could speak a little bit more about that question of like, what does it mean to re-inhabit your body? Like what happened with that witchy chiropractor person Mm -hmm. that helped you to like get a sense of it? Because I think when I talk about, you know, challenges to embodiment, the, what's implied is that there's some kind of like ever elusive notion of embodiment that a lot of people come to me and they're just like, I don't know. It's, it's either too painful. It's too scary. It's too unknown to be in my body. How do I know when I'm in my body? How do I know when I'm connected to my body? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like I was able before working with the body worker that I had in grad school, I definitely felt like I was in my body after coming out as queer. Mm. Um, but it was like really only when I was like with a partner and I wasn't Uh, able to experience embodiment on my own. And I think this, this is true for a lot of people where sex is one of the only times that they're in their body or like physical intimacy, cuddling, Mm -hmm. um, holding Mm -hmm. hands, like all like sleeping next to someone. Um, it's like really easy to co-regulate to the point of being inside yourself. And then individually, it's really hard. And so I think that that was the first time, I mean, I was obviously still doing it with someone because sure. Um, yeah, like I had a healer there and we're also Uh, relational beings. So, you know, (laughs) totally. Yeah. and And that was definitely part of it. Um, obviously, but yeah, it was, for me, it was really like understanding the, the mind body connection for the first time. Mm. And that the reason that I was basically on almost unable to stand up in the morning was because of the vicarious trauma that I was experiencing through the work that I was doing. And Mm -hmm. it had never been so clear to me because I'd heard about it, but I hadn't really felt it yet. Mm -hmm. Um, And so feeling the adjustments that she made and like all the emotions that came up. So there was like this one adjustment where she would like crack the part of my back behind my heart center. Mm. And I would just like sob. (laughs) And like it wasn't... It wasn't like, she didn't say that was going to happen. It just did. And I was like, oh, there's really something to this. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Yeah. Like maybe, I mean, maybe just for the sake of clarity, could you explain to, to the listeners what vicarious trauma is? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Or like maybe just specifically in your context, what that, what that was. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So when we are exposed to people's trauma stories or even in in my situation because I was helping folks navigate really traumatic systems with them, I was experiencing like both firsthand and vicarious trauma through their experiences and hearing about their experiences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the thing about vicarious trauma that's really brutal for our bodies is that in order for us to provide empathy to our clients or friends or family or whoever, a part of our brain, these mirror neurons try on the person's experience. It's like why if like someone has a loss, even if you like didn't know the person, you start crying when they're yeah. grieving, your brain is like, this also happened to you <laughs> so that you can like understand it. Mm-hmm. And so while I didn't have the, the same experiences as a lot of my clients... Um, for a lot of different reasons, a lot of them having to do with my own privilege as a white person and as a cis person. But um, my brain was trying on the levels of trauma and the, some of the experiences that they had been through and kind of like telling my body I had been through it so I could be with them in their pain, but then also was then having my own trauma reactions. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially I think when that's when it's less cognitively clear what's going on, that stuff does really show up in the body. So I think it's why a lot of people who, who do trauma work or any kind of service work have kind of the same symptoms of the like chronic neck and back pain, again, like migraines, sleeping a ton or like not sleeping at all, feeling like really disconnected from people in their lives who haven't been through the same like trauma mm-hmm. or done the same work. So yeah, it really, it really like impacts us both with our interpersonal relationships and with our bodies as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so thank you for kind of explaining that a little bit. I think it's, it's really common and it, it, I mean, it's certainly a, um, you know, one of the hazards or things that we have to navigate as therapists because our work is explicitly somewhat about that. I think, you know, sex work, like all sorts of, you know, caregiving for, you know, parents or loved ones, or, you know, there's so many areas in which our empathy, the way that we're able to access empathy does kind of interpolate our bodies in, in a way. And it seems like that's a lot of the work that you are interested in, in doing right now is kind of helping people to to understand sort of the mechanics also of, of why, why we in relationships or why we in our past or why we in our, you know, sex life kind of feel the way we do or have the sensations we do and helping people try, try to make sense of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's what was so powerful for me about the chiropractor that I was seeing in grad school that really opened my eyes was that it's one thing to feel something happen and be like, whoa, that was cool. And then it's another thing to be like, actually understanding what just happened inside of your body. Mm. And that's why I'm so obsessed with the nervous system is that I felt so stuck in these labels of anxiety, depression, both with myself and with clients where I was like, but why? <laughs> but like, right. why does it feel like this? Or like, why is it chronic? Or why is this the place that people go? And obviously understanding trauma was the kind of core part of that, but then also understanding what's actually happening inside your body 
when you feel those things and what works and why it works instead of just like, you should breathe, but like literally why, like what happens in my nervous system when I breathe through something? Because if you just tell me to breathe and I don't know why, it feels like really, first off, it can make us feel actually more out of touch with our body because we don't know why something is working or not working. Yep. It gives, definitely gives us buy-in to be like, oh, okay, I'm going to do this because it's going to literally like lower the levels of stress hormones in my body. Mm-hmm. And then it also makes us feel even more connected to ourselves because we're really actually understanding what's what's happening inside of us. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think when it comes to trauma, you know, having those kind of reparative or safe, you know, quote unquote, safe safer moments in one's body is really where it's at. Like there's a lot of, as someone who has worked, you know, in the trauma field for a long time, I think there's a lot that we can talk about and we can talk for a long time and process a lot of things through talking. Um, But until, you know, at least this is what I've noticed, like until people I'm working with and myself included have actually experienced that relief or that kind of connectivity that you're talking about, then that's, that's really the only way for, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to talk about like, you know, healing or like the, the sort of end result of, you know, trauma work or something like that. But I guess it feels like that's the only way to begin to have a, more connected and sustainable relationship in one's body. Absolutely. So when you talk about being in nature now, just thinking about that as one thing you've mentioned that, you know, helps you, helps you to navigate a lot um, that goes on in your life. Like what do you notice in your body that it, that that helps with? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I feel definitely the most at peace in my nervous system when I'm in nature. Um, mm-hmm. And that could be like any any part of nature, like being in the woods or being by the ocean or by a river. Um, <clears throat> and there's like a lot of science as to why that is the case, which has been really cool to learn about, like trees emitting you know, I'm not a scientist, but there's like a certain chemical that they emit to communicate with each other. And when human animals breathe that in, it actually lowers our stress hormone levels. So Mm -hmm. like, there's like really cool reasons why that's very much a thing that is so soothing. And then for me personally, I feel very connected to myself and to the planet and feel like it's really safe to be in my body in nature. Mm. And it's encouraged instead of like, for me taking the subway every day, I feel very encouraged to dissociate on the subway right. um, and leave myself. Whereas like being like floating in the ocean, everything about that experience is like, hi, come home. You're here. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it sounds like you've been in some ways trying to to prioritize that living at living in New York city, that's, that's a particular challenge. Um, but I think it's really cool that you bring up the thing about trees and just mm-hmm. that there are, are kind of ways. And I know you believe in this because of the, the specificity of the work you do, but, um, the somatic therapy that mm-hmm. it's, you know, we don't have to go on some kind of like 
epic retreat into yeah. the woods for for some kind of nervous system regulation to happen. Totally. Um, and I, I imagine that's a lot of what you do with your your clients is is kind of talk about and explore that. And maybe you could just say a little bit more about kind of the day-to-day, you know, your day-to-day practice of um, working with people and, and how, mm-hmm. what people are bringing to you and how you, you're navigating it together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, something that I've been learning about recently through the polyvagal theory is how when we feel listened to and connected with another person, that actually invites us back inside of our bodies as well. Mm-hmm. And that really helped me understand because when I think when you take a training in a really specific kind of therapy, especially one like sensory motor, which is what I am trained in, there's this like kind of push towards every session having a really specific plot and Mm -hmm. they're getting to be like a big, like somatic realization in every session. Um, and like, and that's just every, any training you ever take where they show you the, you know, the videos of like the most successful sessions and you're like, Oh God, every single one I do has to look like this. Yeah. It's like a Uh, transcendent kind of narrative about, you know, like, yeah, yeah, that's the healing, healing narratives. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, wow, okay, so it's interesting because when I when I am connecting with clients and we're talking, and obviously we're still talking about the body and we're still talking about the nervous system, but there's a story or there's a narrative that goes with it, whether it's about childhood, something that happened that week, even a story about like another friend of theirs. It's like, it still feels really transformative and I couldn't really understand why other than obviously we're storytellers and every, everybody likes to be listened to and heard. I know that. But again, for me to have a more concrete connection with what happens inside of us when that happens, um, that really helped me understand that. So when we are connecting with someone, when someone is listening to us with using their whole face, being expressive, which is like how I am naturally anyways, um, bringing their authentic self into the room, listening, that holding that space, that actually does heal our bodies and our nervous systems through this activation of this nerve in our parasympathetic nervous system called the ventral vagal nerve, which is the nerve of social connection, both with ourselves and the world and other people. And so that is sort of like every session is somatically healing, even if you're not a somatic therapist, because you're activating that nerve. So it's always happening. So that's kind of like the baseline. And I, I talk about that with clients. It's not like a secret that I have where I'm like, oh, I'm secretly healing your ventral vagal nerve. <laughs> and then other things that can happen as well. Um, definitely as, as we've talked about more psychoeducation. So just helping clients understand what's actually happening inside of them. And for me, that is either like getting a chart out because I'm a double Virgo, so I love charts. Um, or it's just reframing things. So someone being like, yeah, I just can't calm down. I'm so anxious. Okay, wow. Yeah, you're really hyper aroused. There's a lot of extra stress hormones in your body right now. So yeah. reframing it in less of like this DSM diagnosis of anxiety and bringing it back into the body. Or like, mm-hmm. I just feel really bad, sad, angry, whatever where, where is that feeling? So just again, bringing the body kind of back into the room. And then with sensory motor, which is again, the training that I have, there's a lot about letting your body process memories or experiences that 
are more overwhelming for our thinking brain. So letting people just really have a more physical experience about memories or emotions and helping them kind of drop into that mindfulness space and get out of their more cognitive thinking brains. Um, So that's a big part of it too. And then definitely getting more into like some physical experiences. That's where I'm moving towards with like my own training. So more like getting up and moving around, breathing exercises, things that people can take with them so that right. it doesn't feel like, oh, therapy is the only place I can be regulated where it's like, yeah, oh, you can try this thing at home. Like, let's do it together and then see what works for you and leave the rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, that sounds, that's really helpful to hear about how you're, how you're working. I think, you know, it, I'd love to hear, I guess, a little bit about how, specifically working with queer and trans folks, you know, what the specific, and and not just necessarily in your own practice, but, you know, you have, you have like an increasingly like very resonant, you know, your, your, your work on Instagram and what you're putting out into the world in terms of psychoeducation is really, you know, you're really speaking to some people, a lot of people actually. And, you know, and so I I wonder if maybe you have a sense of like, what is, what you're kind of imparting or what you're, you're speaking to that, you know, people who've experienced chronic ongoing trauma in their lives for various reasons, perhaps related to sexuality and gender, Uh um, kind of what they're getting out of that information or what they're needing to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's like different than working with folks who are straight and cis. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Definitely. For sure. Um, you know, I mean, there's so much out there about the higher rates of trauma that queer and trans people experience. I like don't need to review the horrifying statistics of that, but right. something that I noticed when I was in my second year internship at an LGBTQ health clinic was, and this was like very early on in my training as a therapist specifically, is everybody was super traumatized. Everybody was queer and trans. There's obviously not a coincidence here. And that the place I was working was able to name that, but was not really able to give me a lot of direction of where to go with that. Um, And so that is also another reason why I kind of ended up doing somatic work was that I was like, all of my clients are like in all of this pain, as I talked about earlier. Yeah. So I think that, you know, you have higher rates of trauma in our community. And so therefore you have higher rates of PTSD and Uh, trauma reactions and trauma symptoms in our communities. But then additionally, you have to be able to feel safe in the room with your therapist to do trauma work. And so if your therapist is asking you stupid questions about your gender identity or your sexuality, how are you supposed, how is your nervous system supposed to settle enough to do trauma work? It's not, that's impossible. And so it's not enough to be trained in trauma. It's also not enough to be just LGBTQ competent and say you do trauma work if you're not able to actually provide that. Um, And I'm not saying that like there isn't anything valuable about being an LGBTQ competent therapist, but there's another layer of being also trauma competent. And those two aren't, don't always coexist. You would think that they would, but they, but they actually don't. Mm. And so it's not enough to be just either of those things. And so bringing the two of them together for me um, felt really important for 
it being safe enough for queer and trans folks to heal trauma and also to be able to provide a framework that is incredibly trauma-informed. Right. Yeah. I think that that is what I've, I've, you know, kind of observed in, in watching you, you know, put, put like messages out there on Instagram and just thinking about the ways in which you're helping people, all people, but you're helping people to really understand what Mm -hmm. is happening in their bodies um, and why, you know, it's like, why pain? Why, why, you know, why difficult relationships? Why? And I think a lot of the narratives that queer and trans and non-binary folks like really get from the, you know, heteronormative dominant world is, you know, well, there's something pathological. I mean, underlying it all, is there something kind of pathological about you or right, you know, right. that, and, and you're kind of not to be believed or your experiences are not to be, I mean, that, that all goes along with like, you know, kind of trauma and exposure to trauma. But I think what you're saying, you're kind of providing a framework or a sort of, you know, in some ways, like a science of understanding, look, uh-huh. this is your nervous system. This is how it works. This is attachment theory. This is like why you have a hard time being in a relationship, even yeah. though you love this person, like totally. why intimacy is difficult. And I think people are so, they're, they're very much wanting to understand their own experiences. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. I mean, I think that's why um, it's so cool because I have clients all the time bring up therapy concepts that I feel like you until recently had to go to grad school to know about. Um, (laughs) They'll just be like, oh, this theory. And I'm like, that is so cool that you just like, your professional work has zero intersection with psychology. And you like know about this thing because of the internet and Instagram and not just like mine, but there are so many incredible therapists who are offering such valuable information. And, you know, for me, this started, the reason I even started an Instagram, well, first off, I had like a very loving best femme in my life. Um, Caitlin Rose Sweet be like, you need to do this thing. And like, shout out to all of the like best femmes who push you to be your best selves and are Mm -hmm. like, you should do this. Um, but other than her, um, before that was like, I was posting on my personal Instagram these charts about domestic violence that I was learning about at my job at a trauma clinic. And all these people on my personal Instagram were like, oh my God, like, I didn't even know that this happened to me. Like, thank you for posting this. This is so valuable. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is not privileged information. Like, people should have direct access to Mm. this knowledge. Like you shouldn't have to go to grad school or work at a trauma clinic to know what emotional abuse is. Like that's not okay. Um, And so, and then more as I learned about other, other concepts more related to the body, it was the same thing. It was like, yeah, you shouldn't have to pay a couple thousand dollars for, you know, a therapy training to know that you have a nervous system. That's not okay. (laughs) Right. 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 Totally. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's amazing. I'm really, I'm, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think it's, it's clearly really resonating with people. I think one thing that you've talked about being interested in 
kind of expanding on um, is real, and I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit more about this, um, is sort of your, your thoughts on um, the relationship between BDSM or kink and, and embodiment and healing, trauma healing work. Yeah, totally. There's so much to say. This is like one of my absolute favorite things to talk about forever. Um, the intention and containment that happens in kink yeah. provides such an incredible opportunity for healing attachment trauma and any sort of body-related trauma. And it's not to say that other physical experiences can't also provide this, right? Like the container of a yoga class or like the trust of like being sexual again, even if it's not kinky after trauma, right? Like there is, it's not to say that like kink is at the top of this hierarchy, but I, but um, because kink is so framed as being bad or abusive and it obviously can be abusive, um, or like being for like broken people, which is the narrative that is unfortunately out there. That's kind mm-hmm. of why I have this like campaign. <laughs> to yeah, your stance. Yeah, I love right. it. I love it. I mean, uh, yeah, because I think there's this like, you know, healing sex from trauma is like very gentle and loving and like, yeah, absolutely. I'm so here for that. And also there are a lot of other ways of getting to re-experience intimacy as safe and trust, rebuild trust with other people. And I think when you're playing with more intense power dynamics or physical experiences, there's even more of an opportunity for repair. And so kink, when it's done within the context of a safe and loving relationship, even if it's, hey, I just met you at a party. Here are my triggers. You seem great. Let's do this. It doesn't have to be a relationship. um, Really do offer such a beautiful healing opportunity. Mm. Can you, can you just expand a little bit more? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fully with you on this. I I just <laughs> can you explore like expand a little bit more on how, why that that kind of that container is so important yeah, and yeah. how that can be because I think I I've had I guess just to expand on my thoughts a little bit like I've had some had quite a few clients who you know are exploring either polyamory or BDSM and, and there's a kind of way that they're, they're either having experiences that are incredibly empowering. Um, yeah. Or they're kind of, or it's a little messy, right? You know what I mean? And it's maybe triggering and, you know, right. And so there, there's certain Mm -hmm. ways to approach this that I think can be, but I'm I'm wondering if you could maybe speak to what what that is like what the frame what the many frames can be or should potentially be especially if you are someone who has had any kind of body trauma. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and also to say that, and I've I've said this before, but everybody has attachment trauma of some kind. There is some point in your life when the person who is supposed to be there or be attuned to you or give you the thing that you needed didn't. And it's not to say that like parents have to be perfect or whatever, but that just to hold that, like, I think that we have this understanding of trauma survivors as being only a couple experiences and we kind of lose the impact of, of attachment trauma. Absolutely. And that's also why I think a lot of people have trauma symptoms, but can't really trace it back 
to, or, or trouble connecting or whatever and have trouble tracing it back to a specific experience. And it's like, well, you may not remember when you were two and you needed to be held and you weren't right. It's like, yeah, it's just so complex. So I think for literally any human alive, but especially for people who have a trauma history that is maybe more complex, let's say getting to name your boundaries and express your desires really specifically to another person is super healing. It's such body autonomy. It's such... When, when you do get those needs met by the person, that is so much attachment repair. Being able to know what you need is attachment repair with yourself, I feel like. Also, the container of, I think for, I guess, you know, you know, there's two sides to this for the more submissive person in a scene, just getting to be cared for in that way. Yeah. Um, because that is, that it is what this is. It's care. And then for the more dominant person, um, and, and not to like go into a binary, but just for an example, um, for the more dominant person to be able to have that level of control. I mean, obviously they're doing what the submissive has asked usually, but it's still a, a, a container within they are able to be very powerful. Um, And so it's super healing for both people depending on their attachment traumas or other trauma histories. Uh, And then also it's the container, again, if it's set up correctly, because obviously like you can, with any kind of relationship, not just a kinky one, there is always the chance that you're going to be with someone who is abusive or toxic or not able to give you the things that you need. Mm -hmm. And if it is set up in a way that is loving and healthy and safe, then it will start with negotiation, which all the things we just talked about as to why that's healing. And it will end with aftercare. So you have this experience together and then you get to be cared for. And after so many other experiences in which people haven't been cared for, that is so reparative as well. Yeah. I think it's, it, I appreciate you kind of talking about that because I just, I think that it's, it's really, I mean, at least my experience with my patients again, and in my own community is that there are some misconceptions about maybe like, I want to say like sexual avoidance when it comes to having a trauma history and that there, that's totally understandable and fine and maybe a good strategy at times for people. Absolutely. But I think when it comes, what I I think this idea of like being sexually, you know, quote unquote adventurous is for people who are like really secure in their bodies and have never experienced any trauma. Right. That's like sort of the other side of this. Yeah. 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 It's so Um, true. Like I get turned on just by myself and you know, like this very kind of, um, like not very nuanced. Um, right, right. Totally. Like description of, of what it actually means to do this very complex thing that you're talking about, this complex negotiation essentially. And yet it, it, it offers some very, um, I think when done well and right, exactly. It offers some very kind of like basic reparative, experiences in the body, like just the like very basic, but very important feeling of, I feel powerful or I feel safe or I feel cared for, or I, you know, like it's hard to access those feelings. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I also, in some like recent workshops I've been to that are kink related, there have been so many conversations about trauma actually, or like 
mental illness or how to navigate a kink space in a more trauma-informed way. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know because I haven't done like a study or I haven't found a study that says that like kinky people are more likely to have had traumatic experiences. And I don't want to gesture to say that, but I do believe that a lot of queer people, and as we know, queer and trans folks do have a higher rate of experiencing trauma. Mm-hmm. And um, and then kinky folks in general, I think, could be brought to that community or that experience because there's an even deeper need for repair. And yes. kink does offer that. And so, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not drawing like a direct correlation because I'm not able to do that. But I, I have noticed that it's more of a conversation and it's one that people are really excited to be having, I think, because it's making some connections that I think have been there all, all, all along. Yes. Right. Right. It hasn't been, yeah, the discourses haven't been so explicit, um, right. but the, the behavior, like the, the, like the scenes or whatever they're, they're, they've, yeah. they've been helpful and productive for people for a long, a long time, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, what's, what's really amazing about the work you're doing is, is, really just bringing all of these pieces together for people and uh, like providing a space, whether it's, you know, your own, in your own therapy practice, but, you know, and I want to talk a little bit in a moment about, you know, some of your other offerings, but I think bringing together these different aspects of a like a queerly bodied experience, you know, like um, is really is really important and the holding out the possibility that there are other, you know, like for someone who feels really stuck and um, like they've had some, they've had some traumatic experiences, they feel, you know, dysphoria, they feel, you know, whatever the case may be and they feel really stuck. It's, it's almost like you're, you're both offering some insight into that stuckness, but you're also, gesturing towards like, well, there, there are potentially other options that you haven't discovered yet that could be more regulating or you could feel safer, you know, depathologizing BDSM and kink in trauma healing is one major way of doing that, I think. And I, you know, I personally really appreciate that. Yeah, totally. Thank you. Yeah. Same. Yeah. So tell us, let's let's talk a little bit about how people can find out about you and what you do and what you're offering. Yeah, thank you. So my website is andreaglick.com, G-L-I-K. And um, folks can learn more about the individual therapy that I offer, relationship therapy, trainings, both in person and online recorded. Um, and then also one-off individual somatic healing sessions. Mm. Um, and folks can also follow me on Instagram at somatic witch. And that, yeah, that's yeah, pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you're, you know, in part because your, some of your messages are really resonating with people. It, it seems like you're really expanding kind of the scope of your offerings. Um, so that's, Mm -hmm. that's really exciting, you know? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Thank you. Totally. Yeah. It's very cool to be able to utilize the internet as a way to distribute information. And so 
uh, for a long time, I only did trainings in person, but I will be offering a couple of different ones on attachment and kink as trauma healing and using your nervous system to regulate. I have some recordings of those that I'll be offering online. Amazing. I love it. Thank you. Well, thank you, Andrea, so much for joining me. And I'm looking forward to people who haven't already find out about you um, looking into your work. And I appreciate you joining me. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This has been wonderful. 